0: Welcome to The Apple Seed, where we bring you and your family great stories from great storytellers. On today's episode, we'll hear from West Virginia teller Bill Lepp. At this point, we'd been married for probably 15 years, so you know, she had
1: low expectations. (laughs) And from Donald Davis from North Carolina. And that's when I could pursue my favorite pastime, snooping and prowling
0: around. I'm your host, Sam Payne, and today we're talking about sharing family stories and what a meaningful gift those stories can be. There's no one better than Bill Lepp to start us off with his story called Gifts, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio.
2: I was at a storytelling festival in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was staying in a hotel that was... It was downtown, but strangely, it was impossible to get anywhere to buy anything except Bush Stadium, where the Cardinals play. And it was almost my anniversary, like I was going to get home on my anniversary. And I call my wife. At this point, we'd been married for probably 15 years, so, you know, she had low expectations. And... <laughs> I called my wife and I said, honey, I can't get you anything for our anniversary. I said, the only place I can get to buy something is Busch Stadium. And I don't think you want a St. Louis Cardinals baseball cap for your, our anniversary. And she said, no, I don't want a St. Louis Cardinals baseball cap. I'm a Braves fan. And so, <laughs> so I said, okay. And I hung up the phone and let's review what happened. Cause we have the fellas conversation and the 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 woman's conversation and those are two different conversations i said this is what i can get you and she said i don't want that and what i heard was you are absolved of the gift giving situation (laughs) so i got home and you know the cold breeze blew in and I didn't know what the problem was. So I did what my Uncle Paul told me at my wedding reception. He said, if you're ever in trouble and you don't know why, just go, what? And so I said, what? And my wife said, you didn't buy me a present for our anniversary. And I said, I told you I could get you St. Louis Cardinals baseball kit. Well, that didn't work. And so <laughs> let me just give you a little history. We got married on May 7th. So our anniversary is almost always right beside Mother's Day. So my wife lets me give her one present for both our anniversary and Mother's Day so long as it is a gift suitable for two gift-giving occasions. But I have been, I have to say, a remarkable gift giver throughout the course of our relationship because I knew, going in, that I have my drawbacks, right? There are some things, believe it or not, that I just don't do well in a relationship. But I thought if I always give a gift at every sanctioned gift-giving occasion, that will smooth things over. (laughs) So... You know, uh, a Mother's Day anniversary, her birthday, Christmas, uh, whatever else. Whenever else it comes up, I'm always there with a suitable gift. And for our 10th anniversary, I thought I was really going to knock it out of the park. We have a friend who's a potter. He's a famous potter, which is like being a famous storyteller. You've never heard of him. And, <laughs> and he makes his stuffs in the Smithsonian. He's really, really good. And so I commissioned him to make for my wife and I a four-place plate setting so it was a bread plate a bowl a regular plate and a cup for eight people so i don't know you can do that kind of math that's a lot of pottery and uh so he did it he made it it was on time i gave it to my wife she loved it she loved it so much that i thought to myself i now have one gift in escrow (laughs) right (laughs) right Like, if I mess up a gift-giving occasion in the future, I can fall back on... No, that does not work. Uh, no. So, I did not give my wife an anniversary present that anniversary. The next gift-giving occasion was her birthday at the end of June. And I said to her, What do you want me to get for your birthday? Because I didn't want to make the same mistake twice. And she said don't get me anything for my birthday because we're going on that cruise the first week of July. Get me something nice on the cruise. So, we go on this cruise and we went to like 11 Central American countries and I bought like and jewelry and like a Guatemalan handmade shirt and a little bowl. I don't even know what it's for, but she liked it. And, uh... <laughs> It's, it's never held anything, uh, and, and I don't know, I bought her like a ring and some, some, some China. I don't I don't. I fostered the economy of 11 Central American s- countries. <laughs> <laughs> and we got home, and the cold breeze blew in, and I'm like, what? And she said, you didn't get me anything for, your, for my birthday. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, I said, I bought you something in 11 different countries. And she said, but you never said any of them were my birthday present. <clears> oh, <throat> oh. So I thought, Christmas, I got six months by Christmas, you know, I'm going to start in August. So I'm like, what do you want for, for Christmas? She's like, I want a subscription to this magazine because this was a long time ago. And and then she said I want these two pieces of art framed. I thought I can take care of that. And then we were at my sister's house and and she held up, my, my sister had a mother's bracelet. Uh, I don't know if they're still in vogue, but back then they were. And what a mother's bracelet is, is it's a bracelet and then it has little sterling silver blocks on it with letters of the alphabet that spell out each of your child's names so most people out here you'd have to you know be like both arms uh, but <laughs> uh, and then then you have to have each one custom made so they have you know extra little bobbles and shiny things on them and my wife held up my sister's mother's bracelet and my wife said to me i want one of these for christmas but because my wife knows that you need to talk to me like a three-year-old. She said, I want one of these for Christmas, but I want our children's names on it. (laughs) So I ordered her the mother's bracelet. But I still, I wanted to do something special. I wanted to go above and beyond. And I was driving home from the post office one day, and there's an old theater in town, and somebody was renovating it. And they put up a, a new marquee with Art Deco letters, and it said WVSSPA, West Virginia Spa. I thought, so West Virginia Spa, they're going to open the spa near our house. I'll go in there, I'll get a gift certificate for my wife for Christmas, and then someday when I've been gone for a week on a storytelling festival, and she's had the kids all come home, I'll take care of the kids she can go to a spa do whatever you do at a spa come home relaxed and it said coming soon so it wasn't open yet but this was like August so every day I'm driving by this thing and it's coming soon coming soon coming soon and then it's late November and they still haven't opened it and it's mid-December and finally it says open now and I, I pulled in my son was in my car with me I just pulled into the parking lot and the two of us got out and we went in and I have never been in a spa before but this did not fit my imagination There were cubicles and people working at computers and typewriters and things. And I went up to the desk. It was like, you know, chest high. And there was a bowl of peppermints there. And my child was reaching up trying to get the peppermints. And I was trying to push it away and push them away and pretend like I had thought before this moment to teach my child manners. And the little old lady behind the desk said, May I help you? And I said, I would like to buy a gift certificate. And she looked at me and said, for what? And I sort of thought to myself, none of your business. You know, I just want to buy a gift certificate. And I said, for my wife. And she said, for what? And I said, for Christmas. And by now, people are like looking up over their cubicles to see what's going on. And she said, what do you think we are? And I said, I think you're West Virginia Spa. She said, why do you think that? And I said, because the sign out front says WVSSPA, West Virginia Spa, you left out the apostrophe. And she said, that's because that stands for the West Virginia School Service Personnel Association. (laughs) And I said, so you don't sell gift
0: certificates?
2: (laughs) And I kind of nodded at my child and they grabbed a handful of peppermints and we were running out of there. So I went to the spa on the other side of town, that's actually a spa, and I went in and I bought a gift certificate there, and then like two days before Christmas, they ran a big story in the newspaper about the grand opening of the new headquarters of the West Virginia School Service Personnel Association, and they had a big picture of the marquee where it clearly says West Virginia Spa, and I took that part of the paper before my wife ever saw it, and I wrapped the gift certificate in that newspaper article and i put it on the christmas tree so on christmas morning not only did my wife get a great gift certificate present she also got this great story to go along with it and she liked it so much that i'm pretty sure i now have one gift in escrow
0: that was bill lepp with a story called Gifts. You know, I love how in his story, the story of the gift was one of the best parts of the gift. It reminds me of a time when my brother and I decided to give a special gift to my mom for her birthday long, long ago. I'm about 10 years old in this story, which would have made my brother Joe eight. And I went to my brother and I said, Joe, let's make mom something for her birthday. I happen to know how to make a bookshelf and I even know how to make it strong. I had just learned on television how to use a triangle brace to add strength to a rectangular structure. And I was all excited about it. Well, my brother and I had helped our dad build stuff before, but we'd never built anything, I don't think, on our own. And though we were suddenly experts on triangles, we weren't experts in, say, cutting boards in a straight line. We weren't experts in painting either, as it turns out. Not experts enough that we didn't wind up tracking paint into the house on our shoes when we took bathroom breaks from Painting the shelf, so we were in a lot of trouble before my mom ever even saw the shelf. The little standing bookshelf we gave my mom in the end was hardly a shelf at all. You had to stick a rock under one end to get it to stand without wobbling. But it stood crookedly next to her bed, holding her lamp and a clock and a few books for the rest of my childhood, until after I went to college, really. For us, that shelf came to stand for the fact that my parents took the things we did seriously, even when we were little kids. I'd look at that bookshelf when I was in junior high, and I'd somehow know that my parents would take me seriously when I, say, developed a crush on someone. I'd look at that shelf in high school and Somehow I knew my parents would take me seriously when I wanted to, oh, I don't know, write a serious play with my friends or form a breakdancing team. And while the shelf was our gift to our mom, her using it in earnest was her gift to us. And that was a gift that, as it turns out, keeps on giving. Well, that's where Bill's story took me. Where did the story take you? And who will you take along? music mm-hmm. There's a lot coming up, but I want to take just a moment and tell you about another show from the BYU Radio family of podcasts. It's called The Lisa Show. Now, life can be stressful, but Lisa Valentine Clark, the host of The Lisa Show, along with her guests and her unique council of moms, provide a positive and empowering look at all kinds of challenges. They tackle them head-on, sharing experiences, offering suggestions on how we can handle relationships and health and technology and body image and family, all kinds of stuff. And Lisa is a great person to hang out with. The Lisa Show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all kinds of ways to listen to The Lisa Show whenever you like. The Lisa Show from BYU Radio. It's a pleasure to be with you today on The Appleseed, and it's time for another story. Donald Davis's stories are often about getting into and then out of trouble, and this story is no exception. The story is called The Cigarette, and we recorded it live in The Appleseed Studio.
1: Here's Donald. Thank you. When I was growing up, my daddy worked at the bank in town, and back in those days, the bank closed at one o'clock in the afternoon. They were only open from nine in the morning till one o'clock, and then after that, they had to do all of their bookkeeping work before they could go home. So what my mother knew was that after one o'clock, the bank was closed, and if she needed a babysitter for me, guess what? She would take me and leave me at the bank with my daddy while she would go to the beauty parlor or for a doctor's appointment or to go try on dresses she knew she wasn't going to buy to start with. (laughs) And I loved going to the bank. My daddy would give me a big adding machine that had a handle on the side and he would give me the telephone book and tell me the bank needed all the telephone numbers added up. And I would go through adding up the phone numbers and adding up the phone numbers and adding up the phone numbers. And pretty soon, one of the paper tape would go all the way across the floor. And when it was time to go home, he would break that tape off and fold it up and staple it in the phone book to show how far I'd gotten. So I could start at the same place the next time and I could start and I could keep adding up the phone numbers when I went there. Now, there were, four, three, there were three men who worked at the bank, and those three men would take turns being the last one to leave each day and lock up at night. And one of those days, I was at the bank, and it was my daddy's turn to be the last one to leave and lock up that night. We checked around to be sure all the windows were closed because in those days, there was no air conditioning. We, the windows would open when the weather was hot. Close the windows and lock all the windows. Be sure the back door was locked. But the last thing my dad had to do was the big door on the vault, before that door closed, in the back of that door, there were three time clocks that he had to wind. And what those time clocks did was if somebody like a robber got in in the night even if they knew the combination, once you wound those time clocks, it would not open till 8.30 in the morning. So that was a very important thing for him to do. And that also took a little bit of time. So while he was winding the time clocks, guess what? He couldn't see me. And that's when I could pursue my favorite pastime, snooping and prowling around. <laughs> so that day he was winding the time clocks and I was snooping and prowling around the desk that belonged to one of the men who worked there named Mr. Jack Way. I was snooping around his desk because on top of his desk, he always had a big fishbow full of candy and chewing gum. I didn't do it. <laughs> Because that day there was something more interesting on top of that desk. There was about a half empty pack of Cavalier cigarettes. I didn't do that either. (laughs) Because when you're about eight years old, you are not responsible for what your hands do. (laughs) You just watch them and see where they go. And I stood there and watched while one of my hands picked up those cigarettes and shook one of them out on top of the desk. And my other hand picked up the cigarette and put it in my pocket. And I had no way to get it back out of there. And about that time, we went home. Well, as soon as we got home, I got my little brother and I said, let's go out and climb up in the barn loft. Let me show you what I've got. And we left our mother who was fixing our supper and our daddy who was talking to our mother. And we headed out to the barn and we went up in the barn loft. That was a place we loved to play. There were bales of hay up there, not those big round ones, but the little rectangular ones that you could use like giant Lego blocks, you know, and make castles out of and little houses out of. And we were up in the barn loft and I pulled out the cigarette and I stuck it in my mouth. And I was talking, you know, like I was in an old black and white movie. (laughs) Now from here on, everything that happens is my brother's fault. (laughs) Because he said, smoke it, smoke it, smoke it. (laughs) I had no idea how to smoke a cigarette. But when you're showing off, you can't stop, can you? I had matches in my pocket, because when I was eight years old, I always had matches in my pocket. (laughs) I pulled out the matches. I struck a match. I held it up to the end of the cigarette. And just at that moment, we heard my daddy come into milk. See, he always sang when he came to milk. He said, when you sing, it makes the cow happy. She gives more milk when you sing. And he would, as soon as he left the house, he'd start singing. And he would sing mostly songs from church. And he was coming out through there, singing away. He was singing, For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And my little brother said, Hide it, hide it, hide it. And I took that cigarette and I squashed it and blew out the match and I stuck it in a crack between two boards in the floor of that barn loft. But I didn't know that crack went all the way through. It just had hay, trash, and dust in it. And just as our daddy came into the barn downstairs, I pushed the cigarette into that crack and it came right through falling straight down in front of him. Well, he must have gone blind. He didn't see it. He didn't even know we were up there. And we held our breath while he milked the cow. Oh, it seemed like it took forever. You know, he washed off her udder, and then he started milking, and I kept thinking, Go on, get it over with. We got to get out of (laughs) here. Finally, he finished milking, and he went back to the house. And my brother and I, we came down, and we went way around by the chicken house. We went way around by the garden. And we came in on the other side, and my mother said, Oh, there you boys are. I was getting ready to call you. Supper's ready. And we sat down, and we ate supper. And I kept waiting for him to say something. I kept waiting for him to say something. I kept waiting for him to say something, and he didn't say anything. And I started thinking, he doesn't know. We got away with it. My mother doesn't know. He doesn't know. We're smart. (laughs) We didn't get caught. Well, about that time, my mother said, boys, uh, we better go to bed because it's a school night. We better start thinking about going to bed. And my little brother Joe said, I don't want to go to bed. I don't get tired. (laughs) And my daddy said, well, boys, if you don't want to go to bed, how about if I tell you a little story? I thought, I'm not sure about this. (laughs) My mother said, well, it can't be a long story because it's a school night. He said, it won't be a long story. It'll be just right. Now, he was always telling us stories about things he and his brothers had done when they were little. And he said, let's see. Did I ever tell you about the time when Moody and Harry burned little Joe Medford's barn down? My mother said, I don't think I ever heard that story. He said, oh, it's a good story. I think this is a good time to tell it. Uh He said, I believe Moody and Harry, two of his brothers, were about as old as Donald and Joe are now. (laughs) And you know, Daddy was running for the legislature, and one Sunday afternoon, a man came all the way out to the farm to see him, and they talked about politics in the kitchen all afternoon. And when that man left... He accidentally left a pack of Camel cigarettes on our kitchen table. Mom and Daddy didn't know he left them because by then, Harry and Moody had found them. And they got that pack of cigarettes, and they went outside, and they started looking for a place where they could hide and see if they could figure out how to smoke one. They thought about hiding in the barn loft, (laughs) but when they thought about it, they were afraid that daddy might go to milk and catch them. (laughs) So instead of hiding in our barn loft, they went up through the woods above the house, they went through the fence, they went down the other side of the hill, and they climbed up in little Joe Medford's barn loft. And they lit up one of those cigarettes and they were passing it back and forth, smoking it. About that time, something they hadn't thought about happened. Little Joe went to the barn to milk. And when they saw him coming, Frank said to Harry, hide it, hide it, hide it. And Harry took that cigarette and he squashed it and he stuck it in a crack between two boards (laughs) up there in that barn lot. And those boys jumped down out of the back and they went running toward home and little Joe saw them running off. He knew them because they were all over the place all the time, but he had no idea what they'd been doing up in there. And he went ahead and milked his cow and he went back home and he went to bed and went to sleep. Boys, way in the night that cigarette hadn't been mashed all the way out. And it came back to life. And the breeze was blowing. And the hay trash caught fire. And the old dry boards caught fire. It was a good thing it wasn't wintertime and there were no cows in that barn. Because since it was nighttime, nobody knew it was burning till the fire came right on through the roof and the whole barn burned to the ground. Well, our daddy and little Joe got together, and within a day or two, they had the whole story figured out. And our daddy had to build little Joe a new barn and pay for it. What do you boys think of that story? My little brother said, Can we go to bed now? I'm real tired. And our mother sat there having no idea in this world why he had told us that story. (laughs) But we knew that he knew, and he'd given us one chance. You think we were going to get another chance? No way. No way. Well, since that barn burned down, it's been 110 years and the story's still with us. My brother and I heard it. My three boys have heard it. My brother's daughters heard it. His three grandchildren have heard it. My grandchildren have heard it. The story just goes on forever, doesn't it? So if you have children, and you grow up and have children, and sometimes they need to be punished, tell them a story. And they will never, ever forget it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Donald Davis with the cigarette. If there's one thing I've learned from Donald's stories over the years, it's that his dad, Joe Davis was a master at teaching his sons naturally through the stories they lived together and the family stories that came even before them. When Joe shared his stories at just the right time, he created meaningful gifts for his boys and for us. Thanks again to Bill Lep and Donald Davis for sharing their stories. We hope you'll pass along some of your own because at The Appleseed, we believe that sharing and listening to great stories can change your family's world. The Appleseed is produced by Wendy Folsom, Sam Payne, and Brian Tanner. Our audio
1: engineers are Ashton Parkinson, and Carly Wilson. The rest of the Appleseed team is Kelly Wehrmeister, Trent Horton, Evadane Hendricks, Miriam Arce,
0: and Tristan Schetzel.
1: A special thanks to the subscribers of our podcast who rate us or leave reviews.
0: You help people find the show.
1: We also love to receive emails at theappleseed at byu.edu.
0: Your thoughts and comments help us to shape the future of The Appleseed.
1: We're pleased and proud to be among the many podcasts produced by the BYU Radio family.
0: And you can find episodes of The Appleseed wherever podcasts are found, on the BYU Radio app or at byuradio.org appleseed. I'm Sam Payne, and the whole team can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed.